If you guys will open up with me to Romans chapter 1. We're in Romans chapter 1 tonight, verse 18. If you don't have a Bible tonight, but you do have your phone and you have the Firehouse app, you can get on there and use the Bible uh, software that's on there and look up Romans chapter 1 right on your app if you want to. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. As you're looking that up, how many of you guys have gone camping before? Any campers in the room? Some people I've talked to lately that were doing this camping trip thing have um, told me that they had never gone camping before in their entire lives. Never, not one time. How many of you guys have never camped ever? Not one time. There's so many of you. I didn't know you existed. All right, so you have to definitely sign up for this intense camping team that we have going on so you can say you've camped before. Well, I've gone camping plenty of times. You guys have met my parents. My mom's a little spitfire. She works in the cafe, feisty little lady, right? Be careful around her. So I grew up camping with my parents. And when I was younger, they took me to this place called New Hampshire. Any Ever heard of New Hampshire? Anybody? <clears throat> it's a state, by the way. Look it up. It's in your country. It's way up north. New Hampshire has beautiful rivers and mountains, great places to go camping. So we went up there, and we, my dad found this awesome river, and you could get these canoes and get in the canoes, and someone would drive you up to where you get the canoes and drop you off. You get in the canoe and go all the way down the river, and you pass right by where your campsite's at. So you could stop and get out, chill, do what you want, eat some lunch, and then keep going. And when you get to the bottom, you drop your canoe off, and they pick you up again. So immediately my mom volunteered to be the one to drive us and drop us off. So she drops us off, and we happen to have our dog with us on this particular trip. So she's like, I'll take care of the dog. You guys just go have fun. I'll go back and make some lunch. So she drops us off. We get in our canoes. We're having the best time, and the rain clouds start rolling in, and we're like, whatever, who cares? We're going to get wet anyway, so let's just go. Well, my poor mom gets back in the car. She's got the dog in the back, and she's driving back to the campsite. And our dog, this is like the first time he'd ever traveled. He's getting all nervous. He's getting little doggy jitters and starts puking, barfing all over the car. And so my mom's driving back and she just hears in the back and it's a dog just like going nuts. So she's like, oh, it smells so bad. She rolls down the window, just cracks it down. But it's raining, don't forget, it's starting to rain. So she can only crack it a little bit and try to get some air. And so she, once she gets back to the campsite, she like jumps out of the car, grabs this like up-chucking dog, drags him out of the car, slams the door, and she runs to the camper, lets him like throw up, and then puts him in the camper. And all she's thinking about at this point is it's raining. I get to go like clean up dog throw up from the car. So she gets in the camper. She gets all her cleaning stuff, slams the door. She's kind of, you know, I told you she's feisty. So she's got her stuff. She slams the door, goes back to the car. And she's about to clean the car when she realizes it's locked. So, oh, man. So now she's in the rain. She's getting wet. So she runs back to the camper and goes in to go in the camper. And somehow the camper door was locked, too. And so now the car's locked, the camper's locked, she's stuck out in the rain, and she's feisty, don't forget, she's feisty. So she's standing in the rain, miserable right now, there's dog puke all inside the car, and this is what she hears. <laughs> and so now the dog is puking inside the camper, too, and she can see him through the window. And she's like, no! So she's trying to figure out how to take care of this dog. And so <laughs> she's like, I remembered I cracked the window of the car. So if I go back to the car, I had that window, maybe I could get my hand down in there and like unlock it. So she's sticking her hand in the window, and as she starts to shake the car, the alarm goes off. 
So now the, <laughs> the alarm's going off. It's raining. She's locked out of everywhere, standing there with cleaning supplies, and the dog's going <laughs> inside still. It's terrible. So this alarm's so she runs back to the camper. She's like, it had one of those little vents that you can like kind of stick things through. So she's thinking in her brain, if I take this long stick, I can stick it through the vent and maybe unlock the door. And so she tries it, and she's like sticking her arm in. She's got the stick. Well, the dog sees the stick and freaks out, thinks somebody's trying to break in the camper. So the dog's attacking the stick now and pulling it out of her hand. But it's also throwing up. It's the most pitiful thing you ever heard, right? It's one of those like, ruff, 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 ruff. It's like terrible, terrible attack dog style. And so my mom can't get into the camper. Well, just about that time, security had figured out that the alarm was coming from the crazy lady who was trying to break in to like kill this throwing up dog. So they're driving over and she just sees these lights pulling up like, ma'am, what are you doing? Just at that time, me and my dad and my sister had like parked our little canoes there and had like started walking up to like check on my mom. And as we're coming up over the hill, we just see this like soaking wet little lady feisty as can be standing there there's a cop there there's lights the alarms going off and the dogs inside going ruff, ruff, bleh, ruff, ruff, <laughs> poor mom dude she was so feisty and the worst part was when you looked in the window of the camper you could see the key sitting right there on the table just like here i am and see the thing was she needed that key with just that little teeny piece of metal she could have opened the car door she could have opened the camper door. All that craziness that ensued in that amount of time. All she needed was one little key. But that key would have changed the entire situation. It was so obvious what she needed in that moment. It was staring her right in the face. You see, sometimes in our lives, there's these needs that we have that are really, really obvious. It's like, man, I need that to get through this. But sometimes they're not that obvious. Sometimes we ignore the fact that we even have a need at all in our life. We think that we're doing fine, like everything's going well. I'm happy. My family's happy. Everybody's healthy. I'm good. I don't have any needs. And they're not as obvious as that key sitting right there, right through the window at the table. And we can even convince ourselves that everything's fine. Me? I don't need anything. Everything in my life is going great. I have good grades, right? Oh, you guys got good grades, right? How many, how many good grades out there? You guys just finished the school year? Oh, okay. Well, well then, we'll just leave that topic quickly, right? But, but I'm good. I'm not a drug dealer. I'm not out killing people. I'm not a prostitute. I don't have these, like, crazy things going on in my life. I'm pretty good. Like, I don't really have a need I enjoy sports. I enjoy my friends. I enjoy my family. My life is good, and that need just isn't that apparent. And you guys ever go to the fair? Anybody go to the fair? It's so sketchy. Like, why would you go to the fair? Every ride there could kill you, right? It's not, it's not like this like, safe place to go. Disney is like, not great safe, but the fair is like just barely put together. Anyway, that's another sermon for another day. But I went to the fair when I was little, not knowing how dangerous the fair was that ladies would like be on those like spinny wheels and like the whole thing would break off and she would just fly off and land in the parking lot and die. You never heard those stories? They're true. And so I went to the fair thinking, oh, this is great. It's so wonderful. And I get on this one of those rides. Have you been on this one that like it just basically just goes around in a circle? It's like this little train thing, but it just goes around really fast and like sucks you to the outside and you're in this little car. 
Well, I got in it, and I was just a little guy, and, and we put our, they have those like bars, and the bar has to go down and lock, right? Well, I didn't know about these bar things. I didn't know it was like my first time in the fair, first time in a ride. The bar comes down, I was just like, oh, look at this, this is fun. And I didn't know it was supposed to go click. And so the thing starts going around and around, and we get faster. And I do one of these where, because I'm just alone, there's like nobody at this fair. It's sketchy, right? This should have been my first sign. Slide all the way out to the outside of my seat. And I'm like all the way over because it's going so fast. And that's when I realized this bar's meant to keep me in. But I might not stay in. <laughs> so this bar like comes up, and I start flying out. And I am grabbing onto this thing with both hands, screaming bloody murder. Some dude sees it, and he's like punching that red button, like, stop, stop, like the emergency stop button. And it's not just like, stop. It's like, goes around like 20 more times and almost kills you. And so I'm on this ride, and all of a sudden, I realize that thing's really important. <laughs> that is a huge need that you have when you get on a ride. But I had no clue. I had no clue when I sat there. I didn't know any better. Sometimes we have needs just like that in our lives where it's there. It is right there. And it's literally the thing that's keeping you between life and death, but you don't even know that thing exists because we just don't know. And we could be totally ignorant to it. And all of a sudden, when the ride starts going, when life starts picking up, that need starts to show up and you're like, man, I just realized how important this thing really is. But I just didn't get it until now. Some of us, when we're talking about these things that we talk about when we come on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, and we're talking about spiritual things, they can be a little bit hard to chew on at first. It could be a lot like that bar, like, I don't know why that's important. I just don't get the importance of this. Then all of a sudden, when that ride starts picking up, and your life starts to go a little haywire, and things start to go wrong, you start to see just how big of a need you really have of that thing. And so tonight, I want to talk about something for the next couple weeks, actually, um, about how you and I are in need. We're in need of a huge, huge thing that some of us don't even realize exists. And my hope is that as we walk through some of these passages together, we'll be able to see just how big of a need we really do have. That we wouldn't ignorantly be going through life thinking, everything's fine, like I'm good, but we would see just how big of a need we really live in. So hopefully by now, you've gotten to Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. Let's read this together. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie 
and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We see right away in verse 18, Paul is talking about these men who are living in sin. You and I, before we knew Christ, were this. We were these people. You see, sin is this thing, as we talked about the gospel lens, where we're, we're born into this broken state of sin, and, and it's because of the fall. And because of that sin, we deserve punishment. So stop right there for a second. If I say nothing else tonight, we've already talked about one of the most important things you and I will ever face in all of eternity, the fact that you and I were born broken and dead. Sin is a real-life threat to every single one of us. So tell me this. Why do most of us every single day live like it's not a big deal? Why do we act like everything's okay? Like we have no need. And the very first verse of this passage points out the fact that without God, without the forgiveness of Jesus, you and I only have to wait on wrath and punishment. It says the wrath of God. Can you even fathom the most powerful being in all of creation, what he is capable of? for good and for wrath. The punishment that would come from an eternal, infinite God. And sinners are guaranteed. Those of us who choose our own lives in sin and rebellion against him, we are guaranteed that wrath. You see, this wrath is something that we don't like to talk about much in church. It's not what gets kids to come to youth group and woohoo, let's have fun. It's not a great topic to talk about because it's scary, because it shows you and I are vulnerable. We have a need and we don't like to feel like we're needy. We don't like to feel out of control or vulnerable. But the thing is, that's the very thing, the very first step you and I need to take in the spiritual walk we're taking with God is we need to recognize that we have a huge need we're literally lost. We are facing the very wrath of an eternal God because of our sin. And these men, it says, because of their ungodliness and their unrighteousness and choosing their own hearts and passions, they would literally take the truth and it says suppress it. They'd cram it down under their pillow where you couldn't hear it anymore. They'd hide it in the cracks. They didn't want to think about the truth. Have you ever felt like that? Like there's some topic in your life that maybe you feel a little guilty about, and you never want to think about it. Anytime it comes across your mind, you're like, I just, no, just don't talk to me about that. These men would literally take this idea, this, this truth of who God is, and they would want to suppress it because they didn't want it in their minds. They didn't want to think about their need. They didn't want to think about how broken they were, that they were destined for hell. They didn't want to think about those things. 
And if we're not careful, you and I can be the same way. It's easier to think about the fun that we're having in the moment, what we're going to do tomorrow, how good my life is right now, the cool stuff I have on my phone and the friends that I have and the sports that I play. And all of these things fill up the spaces of my mind where this truth might creep in and might make me feel weird. So I'm going to keep myself so busy, I never think about the truth that's out there, just looming, waiting for me to know about it. This need that's real, and I have it, but I don't want to think about it, and so I fill my time with everything else. And here are these men, literally taking suppress the truth of God. But here's the thing about the truth of God. You and I know because we studied the gospel lens that it doesn't just stop at wrath. The thing is, God loves you so much, he doesn't want you to endure the wrath. As a matter of fact, he took Jesus and said, my own son will take your place and take that wrath. So now when you think about the truth, you don't have to think about this punishment coming from God. You can think about this. that He loves you so much, his own son died to take that justice in your place. That's why we call it good news. But see, these men chose instead of that good news of salvation. They chose to continue to do the sinful things that they enjoyed doing. I want to keep doing this life. I want to keep living this way. I don't want anyone telling me how to live because I'm having too much fun like this. And so they would literally take the truth and just suppress it and not even recognize this great need that they have. Verse 19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. So often we ask that question like, hey, what if someone's never heard the word of God? What if if we just didn't know? And he's like, no, no, no. Everyone is without excuse. God himself has literally shown every single person in this whole world who he is. And he's about to tell us just how he did that. But there's no excuse that we have, oh, I just didn't know, I just didn't see it. Have you guys ever heard the quote, um, we don't appreciate what we have until we lose it? You ever heard that? Like, you don't appreciate what you actually have until you lose that thing. It's so true. Because we just take it for granted, don't we? It's like we think that we have these gigantic needs. I'm like, what's your gigantic need? And the girl's like, oh, my heel broke. Oh, it's terrible. Like, my shoes, no, I'm all Like, that's not a gigantic need. Like, you ran out of lipstick? Really? Like, that's your big need? My cell phone's like, oh, it's jammed. It won't work right now. It's totally frozen. My life is over, right? That's what we think our big needs are. We don't really recognize what need is because we haven't lost it yet. We haven't really seen it disappear. We haven't had a need to to reach out and say, oh, this is where I'm at. I was was in... um, an airport in Germany once. And if you've ever been in an airport in Germany, you'll know they're weird. They're weird. Like, they're co-ed weird. And so I walk into this, this place, and it's like a dungeon anyway, and there's a lady in there. And I'm like, what? <laughs> what is, what's going on? Why is there a lady in the bathroom? So I go over, and I stand in front of the sink, and I'm like at the mirror, and I'm just like pretending I'm washing my hands. I'm like, waiting for this woman to leave, and I realize she works there, and she's in the bathroom cleaning, so she ain't leaving. So she comes right up next to me and takes out the spray bottle and starts, like, cleaning the mirror where I'm at. And I'm just like, can I help you? Like, and she's like, 
looking at me and I'm like, this is so awkward right now. So I wait and I wait. Finally, she like goes out of the bathroom. So I run into the stall. I know this is too much information, but deal with it. So I do my thing, right? I also realized then after my business was done, I reached over for toilet paper. They don't supply toilet paper in Germany. So here I am in the bathroom, ladies walking around, there ain't no toilet paper. I didn't bring toilet paper. You never want to be stuck in that position. I will tell you this. I had to buy a new pair of socks in the gift shop. It happened. It happens. Listen, I didn't realize how much we depend on something so small, like toilet paper. Like seriously, toilet paper. You need it all the time. And if you don't have it, you're like, oh my goodness, I didn't realize how valuable this stuff actually is. If you've ever gone to Guatemala, you've been in the jungle, you realize certain things like you get a headache and you're like, there's no headache medicine out here. I just got to deal with it. Your lips get chapped, right? And you're like, I got no chapstick. Like we don't realize the need that we have. We just don't. Until all of a sudden we reach over and it's not there. And you're like, now what do I do? Here's one of my biggest fears, that you guys would end up standing at the gates of heaven and you're reaching over and, and you're like, I don't have what it takes to get in. I didn't know I needed that. I didn't know until right now. I lived my whole life and had no idea how in need I was of a savior, but I didn't know I needed Jesus to get in. Will you hear that from me tonight? So there's no excuse. You need Jesus. He is your greatest need. And without Christ, there is no eternal life with God. These men didn't get it. They knew it, but they didn't get it. They chose to keep chasing their own lives and do their own thing and basically ignore God and their great need. Verse 20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived. So God is so huge and so incredible. He created everything that exists. And it says that ever since the creation of the world, in the things, get this part, in the things that have been made, God's looking down and saying, you have everything you need to know me. As you look at the person next to you, or as you pick up your hand and look at your own hand, you know what you're looking at? Something that has been made. You are literally the evidence of God's power. You are a fingerprint of the creator of the universe. Because when he made you, he left his fingerprint that he exists and you're it. The fact that you're breathing, the fact that you're blinking your eyes, the fact that your heart is beating and you're walking around and can think and make decisions and have a will, those are fingerprints, oily, greasy fingerprints of the God of creation saying, I'm here. I'm real. I'm alive. I exist. And you're the evidence of my power. And we sometimes we're like, God, where are you? Like, I can't see you. How do I know you exist? And he's like, you are the evidence. <laughs> The fact that you're here, listen to your own heartbeat and hear your own breath. You are the evidence of his power. 
You're his fingerprint. But I just didn't know. No, you did know. You do know. The problem is this thing called sin, where we choose sin instead of the truth of our great need, that we need Jesus. But I'd rather have my sin. I'd rather live my life without God. But he says, you are without excuse. That man in Africa who's never heard is without excuse because God has clearly displayed through creation his power and who he is. That man himself is a fingerprint of God. God says, you are without excuse. You have a need, and it's me. Verse 21 says, for although they knew God, they didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. You know, it's possible that you and I can be sitting in the room right now, and we talk about God, and we sing praises to God, and we know God. We're not really in a relationship with God. If it came back down to it, we would both have to look each other in the eye and say, I'm not living in a way where I have a relationship with my maker. I know about him. I act like I know it. I do this thing called church, but I don't really have a relationship with God that's changed my life where I give thanks to him and I really, truly honor him with my life. You know, believe me, test yourself. Look at your own life right now. What do you give your most time to? What do you give most of your thought life to? Your excitement and passion. See, honor means to give value to something. To say, this is what this thing's worth. What are you honoring the most? What has your attention? And if we honestly sit and talk one-on-one, are we really going to see that God has your honor? That God has your time and your thoughts and your heart and you are so in love with him. That's what he's talking about here. And I'm not just saying, oh, you're not saved. I'm saying believers do this. You and I, as believers in Jesus, we still do this because we both need the same gospel, whether it's somebody who's not saved or somebody who's saved, we have the same exact need and it's just as intense for both of us. I desperately need Christ, even though I'm saved, I still desperately need him every single day. And those who haven't believed in Jesus and met him yet, they desperately need Jesus to be saved. You see, we share the same need, but who honors him? Who has received that gift that says, I died for you and I love you and I forgive you. Will you just receive me? And then as you live for him, do you honor him with all your thoughts, with all your heart, your soul, wherever that is, your mind, finally I got to mind, and your strength, right? You know the verse? That's everything. That's a whole deal. Are we honoring him in a way where you say, I really, truly follow you, Jesus? But instead, this is what these guys did. Check it out. They became futile, useless, useless in their thinking. As smart as they were, as wise as they were, it says their foolish hearts were darkened. They lost a passion, any passion there would ever be for God, and they chose themselves. Passionate about living for themselves. And this is the part that kicks me. Check out this verse. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Sounds like pride to me. In our own pride, look at what I can do. Look at what I've become. Look at all that I know. 
And in doing that, they missed the point and they were absolute fools because in all of their knowledge, they missed the truth. They missed their biggest need that they were sinners headed for hell and needed the forgiveness of the God who loves them and created them and died for them. And so in all their wisdom, they sat in foolishness, missing out on the truth. It says that they exchanged the glory of the immortal God. Having a relationship with the creator of everything that exists is the most mind-blowing thing ever. If you don't have one, you need one. You need to get to know God. He loves you. He made you they would exchange that incredible relationship for idols, for sticks and stones, for garbage that couldn't speak back to them. They couldn't talk. They couldn't think. They literally exchanged this relationship with the immortal God for each other, for themselves, for humans, worshiping each other, heroes, Achievements that they had made, sex symbols, all of these things. They worshipped humankind, and they worshipped birds and animals and all creeping things. You know, these guys are crazy. Why would they have idols? Why would they worship a a squirrel? Like, I don't think a squirrel's ever been worshipped. It's too small. But, you know what I'm saying? Like, why would you do that? You ever thought that? It just seems crazy. But then you really think about it. Start to roll around in your head, and you're like, wait, just as crazy as that is me worshipping this. Just as crazy as that is me worshiping my soccer team or my grades at school or my boyfriend or girlfriend or my group of friends that I want to be cool in front of. And all of a sudden that list gets real full real fast and we run out of room of the things that we worship. You might not have an idol, a little stick idol, but I know one thing is that our human hearts And we love to worship everything. And oftentimes we miss on the one, the one that deserves our worship. Would you think about that for a second? Would you ask yourself that question? Like, what is it that's consuming my time, that's receiving my honor and my worship? And if it's not God, heaven forbid. Lord, will you change my heart and cause me to worship you instead? And so verse 24 says, this is what God did. And this scares me, guys. This is scary right here. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. God gave them up over to their own desires. So long they had taken saying, God, I reject you. God, I hate you. God, I rebel against you. That God chose to honor their will, their free will in saying, have what you're chasing. Have the thing you're worshiping. And it says he literally gave them up over to those things, allowing their free will to take precedence. God, forgive me for chasing the things that aren't you and don't ever let me get caught up in those things and miss out on you. I think I'm I'm talking to believers here too. 
I don't think this passage is just saying that non-believers will miss out on salvation because they're so caught up in sin that they never want to give their hearts over to God. I think what this is saying here too is what an incredible blessing it is to have a relationship that is close and intimate with God that we're going to miss because we're too busy and distracted by the garbage, by these other things that we're worshiping and giving our thoughts and our passions and our, our lives to. And then we're going to miss out, and God's going to be like, have what you want. You're going to miss out on me. Guys, I want you to have a thriving relationship with God that blows your mind. I want you to be able to come to Firehouse and be excited because you're going to hear more about your God who created you and loves you. I want your faces to light up when you hear his name, when you hear Jesus spoken, that you're excited about it because it's the greatest news you've ever heard. That's what I desire for us. Not to be people that are so caught up in everything else that we miss out on our greatest need. Because if it's our greatest need, as we receive it, it's also the greatest news. You've been saved. You are loved by an infinite God who died for you and rose again to give you life. Man, that's awesome. It says these people exchanged the truth about God for a lie. God, I know that you're receiving all sorts of ideas from the world and from friends and from people all around you that are straight up lies. You, I can't watch TV or listen to secular radio and not hear lie after lie after lie after lie after lie about how I should live my life. Tell me, Rob, live this way. Seek this. You'll have fun doing this. This will feel really good. Chase these things. They're all so great. Chase them. That's how you should live. That's what success looks like. That's what joy looks like. And these dudes, they bought those lies. They bought them. Hook, line, and sinker, they bought into it. And it says they exchanged the truth about God for those lies. So can I ask you tonight in a moment of honesty, what lies are you buying into? What are you trading in? You're taking this incredible, one-of-a-kind relationship with your God, and you're trading it in for a lie. If that's you, can I ask you, like, what is it that's so good that you would trade that in for God? Can you ask yourself that? Is it really that good that I'd be willing to trade this for God? It says that they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. We get so enamored and bedazzled by like all this crazy like stuff around us because it's so beautiful and God has done some awesome work, right? He's done some beautiful work on this earth and just the cool things that we enjoy that sometimes we get so caught up in the beauty of what he made that we forget to worship the one who made it who's far more beautiful and far more powerful. But we trade in this, this, this little thing that he made for him. I challenge you not to do that. I don't know what has your heart, but I pray to God you've been thinking about it through this message. I pray it's been rolling around in your heart and your mind, and you're like, what are the things that have hold, held me captive in my life now? The things that are taking my time and attention and passion, what are they? And if they're not God, please, God, give me the strength to throw them to the ground and to chase after you.
What are they? In light of those things, do you realize your greatest need? Do you realize that you even have a need? Or are you one of those people who's here tonight and you're like, it's all good. My life is awesome. In college, man, I was all about trying to be the best at everything I did. That's all I cared about was making people proud of me. I just wanted people to pat me on the back. I wanted to make my parents proud and my teachers proud. I was that kid who, I told you, like, I threw up a lot. Like, I don't know if some of you guys know that. Like, when I get nervous, I throw up. So as I would go to class, I'd, like, puke. And, like, because it was so much stress, like, man, I have to make everybody proud. <laughs> it freaked me out. And so in college, I, I took all the classes I could. I stayed late like everybody else would leave for the summer, and I'd still be there taking these like intensive courses. There'd be like 10 people on campus of like Liberty, which is like a huge school, and it was just me and like 10 other people randomly all over this campus. It looked like a zombie land, but I'd be there like taking these intensives, and I'd go on a Guatemala trip in the summer, like after the intensive was over. There was this one year I was there doing that exact thing. I remember I was sitting in my dorm room. All my exams were done. There was like no one around. And I had just finished my intensive, and I was waiting for the trip to start. And I'm sitting alone in this dorm on my bed, and I just realized, like, when it, in the silence, like, man, I'm alone. There's this moment of, like, where's my friends? Like, I'm so lonely right now. I've been so focused on my grades and getting all these accomplishments and speaking languages and going on trips and doing all this craziness. Here I am alone. There's nobody next to me. It's just me. And then I get a phone call. There was a friend of mine who was doing the same thing. They took an intensive. They were going to go on this trip. And they call me up. I answer the phone, and, and she's crying. I'm, like, hysterically crying on the phone. And so she wanted to meet up. I hang up. I grab my keys, and I run out the door. I go to meet up with her. And we sit, and as I'm sitting there having this pity party in myself, like, man, where are my friends? You know, family here. I'm just all alone. This is terrible. I meet up with her. I find out her dad had just passed away. Man, it put into perspective how big my problems were. This girl who had just lost her dad, like that moment called me. She heard the news and called me. There was no one else on campus for her to be with. So I ran over, and all I needed to do was put my arms around her and just pray. <laughs> I still remember that moment. I remember that I was living for accomplishments. I was going on mission trips. I was studying the Bible. I was going to be a pastor. But with all of that, those good things I was doing, I wasn't living in a way that God had everything. My accomplishments had everything. The pats on the back, the people saying, good job, that had everything. And in that moment where I hear her, this heartbreaking news that she lost one of the most important people in her life, it put my life into perspective. And I realized we don't really realize our need until it shows up. And we could go on living and thinking everything's grand and great until all of a sudden, boom, it hits. And then you think, what am I really living for? Can I ask you guys to just bow your heads for a second, just quietly, don't rummage through stuff, just close your eyes and bow your heads. 
I just want you to be crazy for a minute and just talk to yourself. I know typically we don't do that, but in your mind, just talk to yourself. Will you ask yourself the question, like, do I realize how big my need really is? Do I even think I have a need at all? Maybe you've never realized your need for a savior. And tonight, Jesus is knocking on your heart and he's like, you're not saved. You haven't been forgiven and you need salvation and I'm it. If that's you tonight, will you do me a favor and just slide your hand up so I can see it and pray for you? Rob, pray for me like that's me. I didn't even know I had a need, but I need Jesus. I've never been saved. Will you just pray for me that, that I can meet Jesus? Will you just slide your hand up in the air? And if you're here and you're like, I, I know Jesus, but I, I can tell you I haven't been living like that. I sound more like you, Rob. Like I'm living for all these other things that have my attention, and Jesus is not my greatest need. Will you just pray for me tonight? I want to put my focus back on Christ. Will you slide your hand up in the air so I could pray for you? Your leaders want to pray for you. See, that's me. Like, I, I need to put my attention back on Jesus. Thank you for being honest. Anybody else, just slide your hand up and say, that's me. I see your hand. Thank you for being honest. Listen, if your leaders didn't get a chance to see you raise your hand, will you do me a favor? Either one of those questions I just asked, if you raise your hand for them, will you stop your life group leader tonight before your group's over and just say, hey, listen, will you pray with me tonight? I raised my hand during the sermon, and, and this is what I need prayer for. Father God, we, we love you. God, thank you that you invite us into a relationship with yourself because we really need you. God, you're our greatest need. We're, we're here lost in sin. We're broken and we're headed to death forever until you step into the scene and die. Jesus, thank you. Father, we glorify you right now. We worship you as we come up here to sing tonight. Will you hear our hearts crying out how good you are, that we want you more than anything. If there are those here tonight who raise their hand for salvation, I pray that tonight they would meet and encounter Jesus Christ and be saved and sure of their salvation. If there are those here tonight that raise their hand and said, I haven't been glorifying God, I've been worshiping other things, and I need that to change in my life, Lord, will you grant us the grace to do that? Will you hear us as we proclaim tonight together as a body, as a family, and we sing and we say, Jesus, you're everything to us. We love you. In your name we pray, amen.